opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests only and do not represent any other individual or organization. Episode 18, we have arrived. We are we're officially adults in the podcast industry. Yes. Old yes. enough to vote now? Well, yeah, old enough to vote, but not old, not old enough to know what we're voting for. for. Yes. So we got a lot of cool things to cover today. But, we you do. know, I always, I always, I always like to start off with, you know, some important stuff like the National Days and so forth. Yes. I'm going to give you a hint on the first one. All right. Cool. It's Don't. National Something Day. I'm giving you a big hint. That is a big hint. You can see it, but I'm adjusting my eyewear. It's National Wear Your Sunglasses Indoors Day. You're close. It's just National Sunglasses Day. Oh, so perfect. We I'm have to those off because I can't see the board. Well, here where the sun is always shining in Tonawanda, that will come in handy. It is always shining. And you know what shining suns bring out? Shining suns bring folks to our... Clinton Square. What's going on there this week, Carl? Well, if you're interested, the bocce ball court is being formally recognized, and we're having a ribbon-cutting ceremony on July 14th at 10 o'clock in the morning. So come on out, support the uh, bocce ball league, and uh, you might uh, maybe throw a few and uh, have some fun. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite significant. Our studio overlooks Clinton Square. And uh, there are folks out there uh, warming up the courts as it is, but it's half the number of people. There had to be 19, 20 people. I don't think they're in the playoffs now. The summer season goes until like mid-August where they still play. I think they're tweaking their technique, getting ready for that maybe. This is all practice. They've been practicing for an awful long time because they've been ready for a couple weeks. They're pretty good. They scare me. I'm not even going to try. We have some other days that are here. We have... Of course, I always have a food one. It's National Ice Cream Cake Day. Do you like ice cream cakes? No, it's too cold. You've never had Whaley? No. With all the crushed Oreos and stuff in it? No, those are too cold. You are missing out. And what? It's ice cream. It's this hot summer day. Who doesn't like ice cream? Well, I love ice cream, but what flavor is whatever Whaley is? Is it Whale? They give you a Whale-flavored cake? It's one of those things from a unnamed corporation. Uh, insert corporation name here. Well, they're not a sponsor, so we'll never say that. You can get the blend of vanilla and chocolate, and it's got the crushed Oreos in. You can get crushed nuts on it, and if you don't have any allergies and so on, and it is, it's cake you have to eat very quickly. You can't set it aside and then, you know, go get a soda, because it's going to turn into a puddle. Thanks, Frank. Speaking of great information. Puddles. We have a great big puddle that is opening today, Carl. Color Pool opens today. So go on, go get your suits and your towels, run over to Color Pool and enjoy it. Today's opening day. It's going to be a fantastic day. A little cooler than the past few days, but that's all right. Water's heated, filtered. It's clear, crystal clear. It's working. And despite the lifeguard shortage, we are fully staffed. We are fully staffed, yes. Parks and Recreation Department did a fantastic job filling all those uh, vacancies for the lifeguards. And pool attendants and cleaners and rec department 
Yeah, it's perfect. The department is actually still looking for seasonal employees. I know there's uh, grass cutting and other things. So if you have questions, just go to the uh, City Tunnel on a website. It has links directly to that, and you can get your name on the list there and get an interview and uh, maybe get some summer work in. What else do you got there, Carl? You got quite the list. Family Campout is going to happen on Friday, August 5th at Vets Park. And if you want further information about that, it's just uh, get a hold of our City of Tonawana Recreation Department. And I think it's going to be a great time. There's going to be a lot of people going with games and prizes. And each camp spot is probably limited to five or six people. So if you have a family, they'll make sure that you're accommodated somewhere in the park. There are huge festivals in California and Florida that commenced today. Do you know what they are for? Something the states share. Not much. It is National Orange Blossom Day. The Orange Blossom Day is yes, today. Yes, it is today, and they celebrate all week. And it's just kind of like when we have our, you know, our, our corn festival up there in, in Dunkirk and so on, and the Fredonia area and the grape festivals and all that. Yeah. They, they, they do theirs in the spring. Yes. Because, well, I guess that's when orange blossoms come in. You think so, you can time them better. Well, if you're listening in California, congratulations. Uh, have a great time. There is one more. And it kind of goes in with that barbecue thing. Because yeah, what, what do you put on your hamburgers, Carl? When you grill a nice, juicy hamburger, what goes on top? My dad burgers? Yes. Your dad burgers. Onion. There it is. It is National Onion Day. No way. From the start. From Val- Have you ever been to Valdalia? Where they know. named the whole onion after? Hey, isn't it Vidalia or is it Vidalia? Vidalia. Is it like tomato, tomato, potato, potato? No, you put the whole no, thing. The on. emphasis is on the, on, the, uh, on the vault. Vidalia. Vidalia. Right. You have to hit the rest of your list. I'm out of my stuff. Of course you are. Except for one, but I'm saving it. All right. Uh, the new handbooks are, are out from the Chamber of Commerce, the 2022 handbooks. Get over to the Chamber of Commerce and uh, check out what's going on that. Uh, July 4th. Yes. Right around the corner. Week from today, July 4th. Uh, lots of festivities around town. Uh, City of Tonawana, North Tonawana, the fireworks, of course, are going to be on the bridge. And at 6 o'clock... At our Canal Street Station Pavilion, we're going to have some music, and it starts uh, right right around six o'clock. That'll be, and of course, uh, the fireworks on the bridge. On the bridge at be dusk. Nice. Yeah, be a great time, really nice. So we've got lots and lots and lots of stuff going on. Just tons of action and cool and fireworks and fairs and festivals. When does the party end, Carl? In the city of Tonawanda, never, never, it never, it's never, never over. And, and even tonight, if if you're determined to have a good meal instead of just settling, Senior Citizen Center dinner is tonight. Oh, good. Five o'clock, Senior Citizen Center. You're a senior. Are you going to the dinner? Three bucks. Three Am I going? Are you going? Sure. Absolutely. I'm going to help serve and cook. What are they serving? Don't, dis- don't let that distract what you. What are they serving? Uh, tonight, we're, I think we're having goulash and side dishes. Is it goulash? No. Or is it chili mac? No, it's goulash. It's the real deal. Okay, because yeah. I am a Hungarian, and goulash is actually five different meats in a stew. There is no pasta in it whatsoever. This, no ground meat. This sounds like from, you know, my big fat Greek wedding. You know, every word has a Greek absolutely beginning absolutely. core now, everything does not this. go back no. to Everybody being a Hungarian. It's a Slavic country. It's not. Do you know what it is? 
mid-Mediterranean. No, it's considered the most difficult language to learn, even above Chinese. It's Fino-Ugric, and it does not match any Slavic language. But enough of the trivia. Uh, you know, we always like to bring in a guest that has something relevant, and um, uh, we, we were really honored, really blessed. We have Mr. Dave DiTullio here today. He is the uh, owner and proprietor and chief trainer for Defensor Firearms Training. Uh, he is also a veteran of the United States Navy, uh, the United States Army, and he was in national law enforcement with Homeland Security for a number of years. Dave, good afternoon, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, there is uh, a lot of different things going on in the world right now, and you know, this is actually a, a very relevant time to have you here because of some of the specialized training uh, that you do. But uh, first, tell us tell us a little bit about Defensor. Uh, Defensor was uh, started seven years ago and it was the concept of trying to train new uh, owners of firearms to be able to protect themselves within their home and it's expanded outside of that to the public because of all the national events that we've seen and we uh, work with corporations closely and even church security teams and school teachers unfortunately. Now the, uh, the catchphrase here would be active shooter is part of that training and I realize that's a huge subject, but address that a little bit, how this is changing and the, the evolution of, of the people that are taking these programs. Yeah, there's a lot more people now that are participating in these programs uh, that never would have even considered that before. Um, I had a doctor come into my place. He worked at an urgent care in Niagara Falls, and one of his customers threatened to come back with a gun and shoot everyone there because he didn't want to pay his bill. Uh, we've seen uh, churches across the country uh, come under attack where we, there was a time in, in this country we those were safe places for everyone. Uh, and now we've also seen uh, school schools uh, involved with active shooter situations. So, and recently here in Tops, right here in Buffalo. So. Horrible, and you know, there's there's uh, people that have a misconception. They they think that you're teaching people to brandish firearms and walk around and become their own police force, and it's really not that at all. It's actually unseen if it's done properly. Yes, yep. I, I uh, people ask me, you know, Dave, you carry the, you you wear your pistol at home? Yes. You wear it at church? Absolutely. You wear it shopping? Yes. And I ask people, when do you put your seatbelt on? Only in rush hour traffic, only when I'm 20 miles away from my home, what, when do you do that? And it just wouldn't even make sense to say anything other than having it all the time. It's very topical that many people have misconceptions about where and when, you know, to carry self-protection. You know, where's the right place, where's the wrong place? And um, from what you just said, it's every place, all the time, whenever you are awake, pretty much. Yes. Yep. It's, it should be available for your protection and protection of your family and others around you. And, and there's literally millions of people, <clears throat> excuse me, within the U.S. that carry every day. And we, and we don't hear headlines about it. We don't hear problems of it. Um, and it's unfortunate that the few make national headlines because of the, uh, the access to media and uh, around the world um, that affect this. But people are carrying it every day and you don't even realize it. And people are safer because people are carrying it every day and get proper training. And that's kind of where we come into it. People, uh, if they don't know me, could potentially think that I'm a, a gun nut who can't wait to use it. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I, 
appreciate solid training and training new people at it. And uh, I don't ever want to have to use this. I don't ever want to have to shoot uh, another American on this soil. And uh, that's the way most Part people of the defense or uh, motto is train to win. Yes. Uh, you want to explain how you came up with that? Well, it's like Sun Tzu said, um, every battle is won or lost before it's ever fought. And so that is our primary drive, is to educate people on the proper laws within New York State, and if they travel to other states, um, how to properly train themselves. And really, when you take your uh, initial pistol permit classes, is, is the bare minimum basic level. So I encourage people to uh, learn more, and it's for selfish reasons. I'm out in public, and I'm putting a lot of people on the street with that, and I want them not to be a liability, but an asset when they're out there in the public and not hurt themselves and other people and police. It's kind of like you know, driver training was the minimum, but it certainly doesn't prepare you for daily driving. It's just it's the beginning, and it takes this ongoing training. Now, we had you booked to come in before this decision came down, but several days ago, the Supreme Court struck down a New York State law with regards to the difference between uh, target only and your, your permission to be concealed carry. Now, if you have a appropriate legal pistol permit, they said, no, open carry is what it's going to be. I'm sure there's been a lot of different things that you've heard back and forth. What are some of those? Yeah, so there's, there's been a lot that's been going uh, back and forth. Um, you know, for Niagara County residents, they um, they get you get a full carry license or nothing. And in Erie County, it's broken down into target hunting business or unrestricted. And uh, for both counties, just because that's mainly what we deal with, uh, both counties have to have a reason why you want your pistol permit. And that was taken into consideration on top of your wants and warrants and, and background checks and your fingerprinting and your references. And so this this decision has now basically negated the need to explain why you want one uh, outside of the normal, you know, any felony arrest and and uh, what your references say. So to make that show you have a background that maybe yeah. you shouldn't be yes, yeah. uh, armed, right? Yeah. So, so to make it clear for everyone, who may not know or who just hears the headlines or just the five-second, you know, media blips on this, you still need a permit in New York State. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And New York State doesn't recognize any outside permits. We've I've seen a lot of people come into this state thinking that they can come into New York, and New York, unfortunately, doesn't recognize any other permits but their own. Um, so there are lists out there for for pistol permit holders to see what states recognize it, and it's important they know that they're not following New York State's laws when they leave the state, but the laws that they're in of those that recognize it. But yes, you still are required to have a pistol permit license, and then that has changed. On top of that is not just for pistols, but in September 4th, you'll be required if you want to buy a semi-automatic rifle, you'll have to have a rifle permit. So anyone who's considering getting a pistol permit needs to do it before September because that is going to get inundated and I think it's going to take potentially, my estimation is years, to get any permit once they do that. Now, Erie County uh, has been approached by several uh, Second Amendment right folks saying, listen, you need to increase the staff because they anticipate this, this occurring. Um, I mean, somebody that wanted one before and didn't take the class, do you think this is really going to motivate them to go take uh, 
uh, the classes to get the permit now? I mean, does it increase that sense of urgency for some reason? Anytime these laws, uh, they react and create laws, all it does is increase my sales and my training and more people who've never considered it are now, now considering it. And so um, people are buying on firearms, people are now getting training because they think if they don't get it now, they'll never get it. And so it's, it puts more stuff out there. So I think it kind of does the opposite of what they think is going to happen. Um, but nonetheless. So, there's, so it's a perceived shortage that is generated by who's, who's generating that, that perceived uh, the media the politicians it's both it's I don't give names I don't think you want to give names yet but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but um, it, it is both it's um, politically we've known to, you know because we have our citizens best interests in mind and we should and, and it's easy to associate uh, problems in this country to a certain item and be able to make restrictions on it and, and say there we go I've done it and it doesn't so when groups want to reach out to you a church group a school uh, a municipality perhaps a business uh, for training for their employees how do they reach you so we're at, uh, if you go to our website, www.defenserinc, that's D-E-F-E-N-S-O-R, Inc. Inc. dot com. You can look under our courses section. You can find out uh, where we do our pistol permit classes and concealed carry classes. But there you can reach us. Uh, you can also call us at seven one six two two eight zero nine zero six and. Myself or my partner Pat will answer and we'll help you out, whatever you need. What are you engaged in right now, uh, preparing for uh, in increased class size, increased more media coverage? Have you been approached by anybody to do any more interviews? Yeah, I've done a lot of interviews, uh, just like yourself, uh, a lot of podcasts, um, radio, um, our class sizes, our pistol permit classes have been standing room only, which is, we haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, obviously, we're increasing our what we're bringing in and availability. But you know, uh, right now I'm in the middle of three different churches that are looking for quotes on, on establishing uh, church security teams, which involves us looking at who already legally carries within their church and helping them work together as a team so that they don't just have people arbitrarily shooting and rounds being fired all over the place, but learn to where to sit, um, how to see things before they happen. That's based off of uh, both yours and my training. Um, being more preventative than reactive. And that's our goal. But we're not just a firearms training facility, but I, like anyone, would rather be proactive and be able to stop this. So we teach signs of, you know, indications of people who want to do harm. And then how do we de-escalate that situation and bring that to a peaceful resolve? And the absolute worst uh, case scenario, then we have to defend those who are in the areas that we are in, whether churches, schools, and things like that. So Domain awareness, hardening the target, public awareness. Um, it's just more than just putting up a sign and yeah. stating something that it's, it's going to work, because those don't work. We know that. It's not, it's not standing around, again, packing firearms, looking, you know, like, you know, Joe Cool or something like that. This is, it's meant to be unseen. Yes. But properly trained and protected. Uh, there's something that, it's, a, it's an ongoing question. You can go and you can purchase a long rifle. Why 
such a stigma between the long rifle and the handheld firearm, the handgun. Why? Why is that such a thing? When I mean, many of these long rifles are far more powerful uh, yes. than the majority of handguns. So between a rifle and pistol, uh, pistols, uh, I think people are nervous about those because they can be hidden so easily. You know, you could, I could be, if I wanted to, I could be wearing three of them right now, even with shorts on, and no one would even know it. But, um, but rifles are a little harder to see and to know that something, you know, grabs someone's attention. But the, the rifles that are being under attack, these semi-automatic rifles, truthfully function no differently than your handguns. Every time you squeeze the trigger, one round comes out, not multiple ones. Those are already federal laws in place to handle those type of firearms. So, um, so they come under attack, why? Because they look like scary military weapon systems, but they actually don't function any differently than any of these other ones out there. And truthfully, I can have a, a Barrett 50 cal sniper rifle, but I can't have the scary little AR-15 that's in here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've even seen some of these things like uh, the, the airsoft and the paintballs, where these designs that they have on these things are to the untrained eye, extraordinarily authentic looking. Yeah, and I've always push that out. Anytime I have an audience, um, I, I tell parents and uh, people who are taking these classes for their young nieces and nephews and things like that is, you know, these toys are great. They're a lot of fun. I grew up playing cowboys and Indians and and uh, good guy, bad guy, and all these things like that. And it's a lot of fun. But we have to be aware that uh, these firearms nowadays look real. And I warn people that I don't, I'm not looking at age, I'm not looking at race, gender, nationality, nothing. If there's someone who's pointing a firearm or any kind of weapon coming at me, it's not a game. And so it's important to let your kids know that there's a time and place for it and to educate them that this isn't something you arbitrarily point at law enforcement or even uh, civilians. I mean, growing up, it was, it was cops and robbers. Yes. And you were playing in the front yard, very realistic looking uh, instruments, but there was, there was never any incidents and the, the children have disappeared from the front yards and from the parks, and now they're inside and they're playing, you know, Halo and Call of Duty and, you know, uh, Car Thief 101 and all this stuff. Uh, do, do you think video games play it all into the mindset of a developing mind where they're doing these things and... It, you're kind of desensitizing or anything of that nature? Yeah, I, th I think uh, that's a good point. I mean, desensitizing is uh, is definitely something I think we're seeing a lot more of. I think the, you know, from growing up with Pong and some of these other things and Pac-Man, like, the, the realism in these things now, I mean, they had guys with my background helping people create the most realistic videos you can. And in effect, they don't realize it, but they're training people. And we've seen that in this uh, latest active killer event in Buffalo. His movements were what I would be doing. And it's pretty scary when I was just talking to a, a law enforcement officer and he said, that's the first time it really scared me because he did movements that are typically not your normal, you know, bad guy who's just on a rampage just like that. Um, so I think, yes, I think there's some, some likelihood with that. I think there's a lot of, uh, because people are in their rooms doing this, you know, you and I used to play outside and in the streets and we had a lot more of imagination instead of being, you know, stuck inside and not dealing with people and, and that. So I think there's some interaction issues going on. Uh, but yeah. yeah. I was uh, engaged with a couple of young folks that were busy playing this particular video game and, uh, it seemed startling to me that they shot somebody because not because they were on the opposing side, but because they didn't like them. So when the game literally eliminated them and just the mindset. Now in this latest uh, round of legislation, 
they have finally put in a chunk of money for mental hygiene. How important is that in preventing these things as they go along? Uh, absolutely, I think people need to address um, psychological issues that they're that they're dealing with. I mean, we're seeing so much change in dynamics of the family. Um, COVID, I, I think, needs to be more addressed too. We're talking to several doctors, they are concerned with this this length of this pandemic that we had um, and what it did to people. I mean, you're walking around tops and I had to walk five feet around you, can't say hi, we couldn't, like, we were looking at each other like we were zombies or something. And I think psychologically for these kids who couldn't go to school, couldn't interact with their kids and friends and families and stuff, I think uh, we, we are still seeing the repercussions of that. And, and so uh, I think internet has now opened up your problems to the world. And so, you know, I talk with my daughter, it's very important what you put out there because when you put it out there, it doesn't come back. And so, you know, when you look at your friend list, some of my daughter's got thousands of friends, you know, I'm like, you probably don't know 20 of them like you should, and the rest are just people of friends and people, you know, whatever. And so when you put out a problem you're having, you get these thousand people coming at you like they're uh, some expert in whatever your problem is, and, and it's almost like either a support or an attack on whatever you got going on, or maybe the other person that they had a problem with, where it should have been just you and I talking to each other. And so I think social media is why it helps me in my business, is uh, it's good and probably not the best thing for this country. So what do you think about some programs that have started in some places across the country where it's like a toy gun buyback or trade where they'll take your your airsoft, your squirt gun, all of these and trade them for a nonviolent toy? What do, you, what do you think about that? Is the mindset really in a four or five-year-old uh, with their Nerf gun, is is that leading up to being comfortable holding a handgun or a long rifle? Do you believe that? No. I, we grew up playing it. And if you take my gun away, my whatever toy it is now, it's I'm going to use my finger pistol. You know, it's uh, my daughter was raised around firearms, and to her, it's no different than anything else. The difference is, is that I wasn't concerned about my house because they're locked up, and I should be accountable for that uh, if these are used and they had access to it. So that's probably the biggest thing. But my daughter was raised with it, so in the event that she went to a friend's house and they weren't as uh, careful with their firearms as we are here, responsible. Yes, is a great word. Responsible. Yes. Um, then she knows how to handle that, not be afraid of it. It's, you know, it's not like we're hiding car keys, but car keys are just as dangerous. Uh, the, the car itself is just as dangerous as any firearm or anything like that. And so I don't think taking away squirt guns and that, although, you know, giving kids an alternative or not glamorizing firearms through uh, games and things like that, maybe uh, there, may, there might be some room for discussion on that. But I think it's safe handling of it, proper training and education, because let's face it, firearms have been around since this country's been around, and, and it wasn't long ago that kids were taking rifles to school. I'm a boss, and nothing is, well, what's changed? I did. I was, I was on a rifle team. Rifle team, walking down Dolly Road with, with it in its little canvas case, and it went into the coaches or the gym teacher's uh, office when I got there in the, in the morning, and then we took them out after school. And yeah, it was, it, it meant nothing to us. It was, it was like a lunchbox. It wasn't sensationalized. It was not sensationalized, and we would never give it any thought. Nobody, as far as I knew, when we were in school, the teachers, faculty, administration, 
it just it just wasn't thought of as like you know like what now if some kids walking down Delaware Road you know towards Camel West or one of the other high schools and name a country a city it it's going to attract a lot of attention very quickly and we we did that freely back you know in the early 70s late 60s it just was not a thing I, I pulled a photograph from uh, yearbook I went to uh, uh, Kemmer Jr. Kemmer West and I pulled a photo from the yearbook where myself and my brother and our friends were posing with our rifles as part of the rifle team and just just for fun several months ago I put that photograph up online and the response was horrifying and it's like I, I grew up with this this was not you know we weren't running down the streets and you know terrorizing yeah, people again being responsible yeah. and educated and, and educated age. and training yeah, there's, there's a lot of rules that are in place that people I just aren't thinking about I mean there's these guys that are doing these active shooter things they're breaking federal laws and these, they need to be dealt with. And there's laws in place that just, it's hard to, law enforcement has a tough time enforcing them, but you know, we have a, uh, a meth problem in this country, an heroin problem, and it's completely illegal. And yet, you know, the, the bad guys are still finding a way to get in this country. And then we're, you know, we're getting into all other topics, but opening up borders sure. and allowing things to, to free flow and lack of checks and, and, and demonizing police, you're not setting yourself up for success. That, that brings up a key point. Um, okay, so there's been some shooting, and they're horrible. There's, there's, I'm not making any excuse for the horrible events that took place. Uh, things that I would never wish upon anybody, but their answer is, okay, we're going to take away the firearms, to some extent. But when it comes to the drugs, they're putting in safe places, they're paying federal money for people to help you inject safely with clean needles. It just seems completely, well, it, it doesn't seem, it is completely contradictory, and it, it seems a little... Bidding. Now, I have a question. Now, what if somebody wants to know more about, uh, you know, being defensive in an active shooter situation but does not care to get a pistol permit? They just want that awareness. Can they also take the training? Do you teach those classes so they can, yes. you know, protect themselves without having to have a firearm? So I encourage all, you know, businesses because that's where things can happen. We've seen it in San Bernardino, Texas, and a number of places throughout the country. Uh, companies invest in their people. Uh, educate them because it's relatively cheap when you have the large numbers and you put them into big classrooms and training areas and uh, bring us in and talk about it because it's not it's not what do you do when you're working at uh, company A and when I'm sitting here I always do this uh, we teach a mindset because it can happen anywhere anytime so you're not just investing in your employee at work you're investing in your employee at home and out in public and uh, these things where every time we teach a class I'm confident that not only is that company safer and hardening their target but when they go home they're out in public, they're more aware of their surrounding and, and they know how to think. And people operate, uh, I know Carl, you've seen them work together at airports and public events, is um, people operate in a herd, a herd mentality. You know, Absolutely. You see them, and there's five lines open up at a checkpoint and three of them are busy, so everyone goes to that one because they want to be right, they don't want to be wrong. And they're also staring at their phones instead of paying attention to yes. their surroundings and the people in their surroundings. Domain awareness is something that I always would try and get that across to my students is just domain awareness. Pay attention to what's going around you and you'd be amazed what you find out and what you could see. Just take the time. Put your phone in your pocket, put it in your purse, put it away, 
There's no need for it, you know, 24-7 in your hand. You know, your safety is paramount to um, your phone. If you ask my daughter, it is imperative that the phone... <laughs> uh, shout out to my daughter. Don't worry about that. I was just kidding. Um, now, there's... We, we've seen in, in many of these incidents, uh, they are individuals that are doing this that are, are not of a mature age or education. Um, so the... Many of the, uh, the folks speaking out about this say, well, you know what, if, if we raise the firearms age to 21, this might deter some of this. But what are your feelings on that? Do you think it could help? Or I'm, so, I'm so torn behind that. I mean, my Second Amendment people are going to be like, Dave, what are you saying? And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these have been the younger kids. And are they a little more mature when they get to 21? Some could argue that me at 51, I'm still not there yet. Right, but, uh, but you know, we're at 18, you are allowed to vote. You are allowed to go to, to war with this country, you know, to wherever they send you. Um, but you're still not old enough to drink, and now you're not going to be old enough to buy a firearm outside of that. So, I, you know, where do you draw that line? I think, um, again, we're not hitting the root cause of, you know, what happened in this country from 20, 30 years ago to where we're at today where these are options now. I mean, you used to be able to bring razor blades on airplanes, and then in 2001, that changed everything because, you know, someone thought outside the box. And now what it did is it put you on, you know, you on the uh, radar. Yeah, I can't and, and and all the water on the airplane. <laughs> cream, cheese, cream cheese for your bagel. Don't bring, you know, the entire uh, cup of your cream cheese. It's got to be 3.4 ounces or less in a baggie, you know. We're reacting to a situation. We're reacting to a problem that already had occurred. But I believe that with proper training, education, and practice, 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 you hear it all the time, and we talk about practice, you know, you know ball players practice, uh, you know, musicians practice, singers practice, and folks who are serious about protection for themselves, their family, their homes, their businesses, their co-workers, they have to practice. Tell us about some of the practice uh, events that you have. You've got an outdoor range that you uh, use, and uh, you have an indoor range uh, somewhere that you're uh, using. Yeah, we have a simulator that people can, can I tell people, everyone can squeeze the trigger, everyone wants to do that because that's it is fun let's face it it is fun to shoot different firearms and you got sporting uh ways that people hunt they use trap and skeet and all kinds of things so firearms aren't like the evil thing that people think if people do things together families enjoy time together not behind computers but outdoors and and uh so but you know it you do need to know what you're doing. I've had people come into my place who've had pistol permits for years these two women specifically that came in uh their firearms were literally rusted Never fired them, but they've been wearing them for the last four years. I'm against that. If you don't know how to, if you don't know how to safely handle that, load it, uh, practice with it, then you, is, even I'm in the industry, and I would tell you, you don't, you shouldn't be out there carrying it because you're, you're going to be more harm to yourself and others around you than good. So I, you have to get training. Law enforcement is required to, to qualify every year. Military is required to qualify every year. I do believe that these minimums should be raised at sort of education because it is important. You know, you don't just let people just jump into a car. they got to demonstrate their ability to do that and practice and, and that kind of stuff. And, and yes, so we have you know, training doors with simulators outside. Uh, we do scenario-based training. And, and yeah, so there's a lot.
and I'll do it. What, what kind of scenarios that you work with on the simulators? What are those? So the simulators are, there's literally thousands of scenarios, and uh, some law enforcement have uh, up, uploaded some things to this that allow law enforcement to train and practice with it. Um, but then there's like home invasions, there's um, vehicle uh, robberies and, and things like that, and there's... Um, kidnappings and different scenarios that, that put you into it to, to drive you to think. And then because uh, we're doing that on a, on a screen like that, it gives me an opportunity to say, hey, this is what you did. Let's talk about you know, how would you explain that in court and how would you justify that? And because there are many people, again, having taken the bare minimums, don't understand the laws. They think we have a castle doctrine state where you come on my property, I can shoot you. No, you're just trespassing. So you need to understand that. That's very important. And what's your justification process, which is big, because it's the same rules as police. They're no different than us as far as laws and justified use of physical force. Education-wise, obviously we have uh, the initial training just to be introduced to it. You have the maintenance of learning how to maintain the firearm and keep that, that includes keeping it safe, keeping it locked, and so on. What would be the next step? Somebody that's got their basic and they have their pistol permit, they have their firearm, Give us the next two minimum recommendations. So minimum recommendation is um, how to safely carry it uh, concealed and the best places to carry it because uh, you need to have access to it in the event that there is, you're actually being confronted with uh, you know the risk of death to yourself or someone else. Um, so then you know it's literally just learning to shoot and work on a piece of paper and, and refine those skills because I tell people there's a bullet, there's a lawyer attached to every round that fires from that. And if I were to hold my pistol up and just shoot it in the open, it's going to want to travel the length of a football field. So being aware of that, I am literally responsible for every single round. There's, that's the reason why I'm not shooting at just arms and hands because that's hard to hit. And, I, and if I miss, it's going to hit, potentially hit another kid or go through a house and things like that. So that's why we don't go for anything other than center mass in the chest because someone's trying to kill us or someone else. So learning to do that on a piece of paper and get accurate. And then the piece of paper doesn't talk back to you, it doesn't move, it doesn't, it's not in a scenario. So then I, I believe the next step would be to start introducing yourself to the movements and dealing with the public and the different things that challenge your thought process because it's not just as easy as saying, well, if they're trying to kill me, I can shoot them. So we need to be able to properly de-escalate or assess in those things. Which, which takes advanced training it's not just yes, this yeah. is how i pull the trigger and that's 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 usually important so if i have a uh, a business or a church what is the time frame for training let's say if we had eight people and what would be the time frame how would we approach you how would that how does all of that go when somebody says i'm interested in providing some proper training and practice for my employees or my group so to identify people first you have to legally be uh, able to possess a firearm and a pistol and once you meet those requirements and you're carrying in public those are the people that we address and so we assume you have a certain basic level of understanding of that so our, our goal is to bring everyone together on an equal playing field and understand you know how we're all going to work together so to do that we do three four hour days 
and we cover everything from basic shooting to advanced shooting techniques and shooting on the move and communication and moving by yourself and moving with teams uh, and how do we approach hallways, stairwells, uh, rooms, um, and then as we develop those, we also deal with, all right, so with school shootings, much like we saw in Texas, um, it took a while for law enforcement to get in there. So people are already bleeding, and critical, critical arteries and things bleed out, uh, as you're very aware of, uh, very quickly. And you can't just bring in EMTs. Um, the scene has to be safe, so we, there's an assumption that, that if there's one shooter, there's another one. So, you, so if they deal with the one shooter and there's people bleeding out, we have to step over them and find out and make sure there's no other threats before we bring in the good guys to start, you know, working on those who've been injured. And that, so we train them. We train people during these courses, you know, how to how to stop the bleeding with tourniquets and then chest seals, and uh, like that. So it's almost like a muscle memory thing is what you're trying to do with repetitive classroom training, out in the field training. So it it's going to take a while. To do this, yeah, it's so just not a one day. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that gives you, you know, training in the classroom, discussions and laws and things like that. And then it starts getting into, you know, the basic marksmanship and then the movements and advanced techniques. And then we challenge that at the end. With uh, my goal is is always to work with law enforcement and bring them in and uh, run active shooters. Like we 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 have role players that we bring in and and they they have to hopefully see us before we actually do what we're doing and we do it off of cases that we've seen in history of how they responded on parking lots and decisions and and what their movements look like and stuff and we because we have trained them what to look for hopefully they catch us then but if not they know how to work together and make proper notifications and get law enforcement on the way and deal with this and and then bring them i know i had uh i celebrated 40 years in in ems uh, last august and in my four decades I've responded to multiple shootings over those years, and not one of them was with a legally possessed firearm. Yeah. Now, this is going to stun some people, and um, you know, hopefully there's, there's no families that will take offense to this if they were involved in this. Uh, between the years, I'll believe it very broad, between the years of 1993 and 1999, I responded to two active school shootings in the city of Buffalo, which did not make national news. Yeah. Uh, one of them was done on the perimeter on the sidewalk immediately in front, and I was second on scene. And another one was perpetrated in a school's main office, uh, which which was a homicide, and I was first on scene for that. So it's not that it makes it any easier to deal with these things. It's just that it, these things have been around for a while, and where preparation exists, where processes are in place beforehand, the, the the opportunity for these nefarious people to do anything is is crippled. What can somebody do now? I'm going to put you in. I'm not going to put you in a school because I'm going to put you in a in a business office a call center with 40 people in it. What's something they can do now while they're they're setting up to take training with you, where they can begin to make uh, their workplace safer? It, there's a lot of things you can do. Just you, so it's called a concentric circle. And when I talk about it, uh, businesses have a concentric circle. Their outermost layer of how they reach people to their business at the location that they're at, and then individuals 
have a concentric circle. So I generally will ask people in the class, you know, who's going on vacation? And I literally the other day just had a guy going, I am, I am, I'm super excited, and raised his hand. I said, where are you going? He goes, uh, in a week, in two days. I said, well, what time are you leaving? Uh, four o'clock. And what day is that? It's Thursday. All right, cool. You know you just did? You just popped it out on social media because you can't wait and you're super excited, which you, you should be. And how social media works is I have two friends and uh, I happen to be one of your friends. So I hit uh, like and now my two friends just saw that. They may or may not know you. And they are a lot more famous than I am. So they've got thousands of friends. And they hit like. And the, the further that goes out there, the less and less likelihood that they know you. But now they know that your place is open. Right? That you're home like that. So a business. Um, their concentric circle, how they advertise and what they do. I just came up here and um, apparently there's a bed and breakfast in my up on Grand Island. So there's there's two places right now that I see that have uh, signs out front. No to the bed and breakfast, right? Um, what are we seeing now that made headlines is the Roe versus Wade. If I put a right to life or, or pro-life on there, uh, if I put uh, Trump or I put uh, Biden on a sign there, I am making myself a potential. I just have to understand that, but I'm opening myself up to certain threats and risks and potential. And we saw it with Tops. Tops like that. We advertised in Buffalo, uh, very proud of the fact that they were able to put that at a location that was going to help a community of people that they were trying to target. And uh, didn't mean that choice of words, but uh, when they put that out there and proud of that, they opened themselves up to a, to a group of individuals that saw that as a target of opportunity. And we're 211 miles away, a, a kid came over here and the day before did signs of surveillance that we uh, talk about and was talking to security and was asking security related questions and things like that. And no one really took note of that. Uh, things that would normally not be something we would have discussions with. And then the following day he came in and took advantage of that because he knew that based on the way that that place was put in place, that that would make national headlines. And so our concentric circle is watch what you put on social media as a business or what signs you put out there, what you're, what you're doing, or just know that it's a risk. Um, I talk about the, uh, the lighting, uh, access control, uh, make, you know, so you can't just come in off the street. Um, and I think... I think it was you that just mentioned that, that, uh, that people will leave doors open, right? And, uh, you know, so you can have like a Fort Max facility, and I've tested this myself because that's what we do. Um, and you got people work on routine, so they're smokers. So if, uh, for a smoker out there, I just want you to think to yourself, you know, is there a time that I typically smoke? And I think you start to find that you have a routine that you don't even realize until you start actually thinking about it. Patterns are easy to follow. Yep. And they prop doors open, and they break rules. Uh, uh, social engineering is another topic, and I, I really appreciate that topic because I, because of the nature of behavioral analysis that we did, I studied um, serial killers. And Ted Bundy is a guy that I would have brought at my dinner table with my family. He was clean cut. He uh, was smart, hung around lawyers and law enforcement and represented himself to the point where the uh, judge said, you know, it's a shame that you're sitting on this side of the law because it would have been an honor to work with you as, as the way you present yourself. And yes, yeah, so, so there's policies in place for a reason and, and people if they and follow those policies, they'll be more likely uh, to be safer. Operation uh, Securify, you wouldn't want him there after he was discovered. Not after. Out. Nope, before no. so we even knew. But how did he get 30 women? How did he murder 30 women across several states and, and stuff? And, and those are interesting things because, you know, the most important thing to understand is 
you know, in our job, like a lot of people come up with, why didn't you look at these kind of people? Yeah. You know why? Because Timmy McVeigh was a white boy out of Pendleton, New York, who honorably discharged from the Army and didn't have killer written on his forehead. And used a truck. And used a truck. 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 Used a so prison is arguably the safest place in the world. You can't bring a firearm in or any weapon, any weapon in a prison. They but still they find a way to kill themselves. Right. They, they, they still find a way, you know, murder and maim each other. And, yeah. So the challenge is, is, is all right, so it's not necessarily the, the weapon itself, the, the tool. It's the person behind it. So what's changed? And, that, and that's not as easy as saying and targeting a specific anything. Yeah, we could take box cutters away. I mean, does that even make sense? Uh, ammonium nitrate. I mean, these are farmers need it and stuff. Like, what? What changed? Because gels and aerosols at the airport checkpoints. There's still, still people still don't realize why that threat exists. Mm -hmm. Why are you taking away my perfume bottle? Why are you taking away, you know, my ready whip can? It's shampoo. It's sunscreen. Yeah. They just they don't take that mindset back. Because once again, we're reactive, not a proactive society. As they tell them, you're looking about taking your underwear away. There was an underwear bomber. Yes, there was. I mean, where does it stop? But there's so many things, and that's why we were in place, was because um, they see the benefit of being more aware situationally and, and looking for things specifically, not just reacting to it. And that's what politics does. That's what, uh, you know, law enforcement is a reactive agency. People, you know, why are police doing more? Because my partner is a police officer. I'd like to think he's my personal security guard, but the reality of it is, and that's why I tell people, for active shooters, you are your first responder. You're the one who's got to deal with it and survive, and within seconds, this is done. Law enforcement comes in hoping to save whatever else has been out there. But like my wife said at Tops, if you had been there, Dave, maybe it wouldn't have been 10, maybe it would have been five, maybe three. Maybe if there was someone there who was a good guy with a gun, that's what it takes for someone to stop they, that. They had one, and I, I, uh, I had met the officer in the past mm -hmm. before he retired. Wonderful mm -hmm. man. So he engaged. Many, many condolences to the family, but he, yes. in every way, reacted in every way he could. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, because of this racist, mentally ill individual he had pre-planned the day before for what he needed in order to do what he, he needed. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Yep. So, there's, again, with Defensor, it's not just uh, learning proper handgun maintenance, utilization, safety, storage. It is recognizing issues. You don't have to have a gun. This isn't a pro-gun or anti-gun program. No. Nope. We're just talking about what's happened. But they can learn how to recognize things without even having to have a firearm. Uh, I, I was a combat medic trainer uh, back overseas, yep. so I mean these things. This, this critical, um, you know, in interjecting yourself to help save lives and so forth. There's a lot that you can teach to anybody, whether they want to own a firearm or not. And that's I think that's a big important thing. It's not just training for firearm; it's training for the situation. How do you get people to embrace that and come in and go? Listen, I'm not going to put a gun in your hand. Yeah, but I'm going to teach you about the situation. How do you, how do you breach that? Pun intended. Yes, it's exactly. And you know, that's a that's a very good question. And I, I, I think people want to know. I think people are very comfortable with. They think it's everywhere else but here. And uh, I can tell you, I, I used to think I lived on a bubble on Grand Island where there's no issues and no crime. But there's a lot of crime, and there's there's 
things that probably shouldn't be talking about on here on there, but it's just like it's it's being awake enough to know that hey, it can happen here. And if, if Buffalo, what happened in Buffalo uh, on two occasions at the school and at the uh, the top sir, if that doesn't wake you up and say, listen, we don't have enough law enforcement to protect everyone. I've got to be able to survive, and what could I do to do that? But I don't know how to reach you. I don't know how to reach you to do that. But it's it's all about you. You are your own first responder, and it's important to take uh, your safety into your own hands if you value your life and your family's lives and the people around you. Do you do training outside of your facilities? Yes, yeah, we, tr we do. We travel. Thank you. Um, we travel uh, on location for different places and. Wherever, you know, we have a certain limit, you know, five to ten people uh, we'd like to get to bring us away from where we're at because we have a storefront and and lots of things that are going on now, unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, so we can we can come to you and bring that to you. And it's, again, if you, if you have any questions, you can certainly reach us at 716-228-0906 and just ask for Dave or Pat and be more than happy to just discuss options and it doesn't have to be with firearms at all. You're right. Um, I'm going to flash back in time just a little bit, um, and uh, I did mention it is it is National PTSD Awareness Day. And uh, first off, thank you for your service. You you were in combat. You were in two different branches. Um, we we have a lot of uh, vets that are out there that are struggling, and you cannot be in, in, in a battle situation and not be somehow changed by it. Um, just, just your comments. I mean, can... yeah, I think it's a very real. I mean, I've seen uh, for my team that a lot of young guys on it. When we came back, so I think the hard thing is, is when you're overseas, you're you're 100 percent accountable for each other. So we have to know where each other is all the time, everywhere, every second of the day. So I spent three months uh, in scenario-based training. So when we got over there, like nothing was a surprise. We were ready to do that, which is where I came up with this whole training process uh, back here for civilian usage. Um, went to combat and within five days from when I left that country, I was back in, on my own and my team split up around the country and and I was no longer knew where anyone was and I'm out in public by myself and and it takes a little bit to unwind it. So we spent a lot of time training to get there, preparatory, and we didn't spend a lot of time prepping to come back and fit into that. And they did ask questions like, you know, have you seen dead bodies and have we been directly involved in it and all these things and do you want help? But after you've been gone for over a year, who's going to say yes to that question? I mean, who's going to say, yes, I need help and do that? They're just going to, they want to see their families. And so I think that's part of the, the struggle. Um, and so I don't know. I don't have that kind of problem because I am okay with talking about it with people. Um, but I have young guys on my team that one tried killing himself, one is wondering why he is alive, um, one uh, faced going to prison for armed robbery, like just dealing with um, different rules of engagement and how you deal with things that you see and do. And, and so it's, it's a challenge. Uh, I encourage veterans out there, I encourage you to just talk about it. It's, people do want to know, and, and it does help. I find talking about it for me, you know, makes it, uh, it does make it better instead of bottling it up and putting it in this box and, and you'll never forget about it. So, so there's no drugs out there that are going to help you forget about it. Um, and so, and you can't, and that's the struggle. When we pulled out of Afghanistan, 
you know, I lost five guys from my platoon. And we spent, you know, this is the longest running war around that we've been in that, uh, and so we just pulled them out. And now we, we gave our firearms to the Taliban that we were fighting. Mm. And recognize them as a legal government. I, like these are things that uh, that baffle guys like me and you and and some most Americans. Is why? What, what did you just do? Like, so what was it? My loss and why? You know, why are we dealing with that and stuff? And so, for me, it was easy as um, you know, at the time we were doing what we needed to do a to survive. And uh, and I believe in why we were doing what we were doing. So, but yeah, PTSD struggle is very real. I just I've seen a lot of veterans hurt themselves uh, by drinking themselves through it and stuff. And I encourage you to talk about it. Um, find people. You can call that same number I said if you're struggling even today, and and just talk with me because I don't have a problem with that. I'll help you out. Can we have that number again? Yeah, seven one six two two eight zero nine zero six. And that's for any veteran out there who wants just needs someone to talk to. It's drugs aren't the problem or aren't the solution. Alcohol is not. And unfortunately, in the veteran community and the VA hospitals and stuff, I, I tried some counseling with that because I wanted my guys to, to see that if I could do it, they could do it. Um, but it's constantly reliving that, talking about, talking about. I'm not about reliving it. I just walk away from those things mad. And uh, the stigma, the stigma is there too. Oh, it's a, it's a psychiatrist, but it's not always that. A lot of times, it's a peer group. Yeah, because, you know, we they're doing it. None of my guys had psychological problems. It was coming back, and I think there's some kind of, you're right, I think it's some kind of stigma, and it's, I'm living in, uh, in you know, things were kind of black and white over there, but they're not as black and white here. And, and so, uh, for me, I just tell my guys that, you know, it's different rules of engagement. We work to under them over there. We just got to deal with it over here. And, um, you know, it was a challenge. I was an adrenaline junkie, and uh, skydive, riding motorcycles crazy and doing all kinds of, you know, scuba diving and just everything was like a natural drug to me. That was a good thing. And it was explained to me that, you know, when I went to these guys, I said, why is it when someone cuts me off, I want to run them off the road and finish them off? And I was like, that's not right. What's going on in my head? And they said, listen, it's, it's, uh, adrenaline signaled a good thing in your body and that was that. But when you went overseas and you're, you're walking, you're checking out the mountains, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with fire, you know, firefighting. That was every day. Every single day, you never knew it was a fight for your life. And so anytime adrenaline was spiked, your body, through dendrites, which is like my daughter when she learned violin, was like, that, those notes were like, could kill someone, right? <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden she got the one right note. And that was the first dendrite she put in there. And then she built on that, and the second dendrite, and the third. And then she was starting to play music, and it was actually starting good. And that's what he said. That's what happened, Dave, when you went overseas. You're, what was what triggered a, a positive adrenaline uh, spike uh, has now, over that time, dendrites were built there. As soon as your adrenaline spiked, you, it was a survival action that you had to fight for your life. And times 365 days, you're surprised by that. So, so when I had an, I, when I could understand that, I realized that okay, I just got to change, change that. And I think there's a lot of veterans out there that, that don't understand that. And that was probably one of the biggest things that helped me. It was just I'm not there's nothing, nothing wrong with me. I was doing what my government asked me and trained to do, and I just got to retell my 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 body what's going on. Well, as the uh, again, I was engaged with the uh, Banfield Medicine overseas uh, as part of my duties. And one of the expressions that we used when we were wrapping up these these large uh, bivouacs was, you know, we've taught you how to go to war. Now you need to be taught how to go to peace. And I think that 
that portion has unfortunately disappeared. It's easy to talk about that in peacetime, and I was peacetime. I was never, never uh, in the service during the wartime. But that aspect, just as much as you prepare for going into that situation, you also need to learn how to reacclimate to to peace, to not having to be on guard, and when it becomes that reflex action, that, that, that uh, muscle memory, muscle memory yep. that is tremendously challenging. Uh, we, we have had a wonderful time with you. I'd like to have you come back because there's so much more to talk about. Um, and I know Carl, I barely let him get a word in edgewise, but you know, you guys are friends, you go way back. Absolutely. Years. Now, so, yeah. uh, it was an excellent show. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing me out here. It's such an important topic and, and different aspects of it, but there's so many other things out there that you guys cover that's really awesome. So it's, it's cool to have a venue to, to to let people know that, hey, you're not alone, uh, and there's things going on you should be concerned about, and and, and reach out. Now, you said you were on multiple podcasts. This one's your favorite one so far. This has been my favorite one so far. <laughs> and the other ones can just be <laughs> I'm going to get some fan calls after this, but this was a definitely a lot of fun. Well, they should just delete theirs. It's certainly the prettiest studio. Well, this is a fantastic uh, location of that. I love you guys are doing it. It's not a garage. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a, it's a real studio. <laughs> yeah. Dave, your, 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 your parting words for the folks out there that, you know, they're on the fence, they want to know where to go. Uh, go ahead and put a bow on us. Uh, yep. So, uh, so first of all, just listening and coming out of this podcast, I know you probably have a lot of questions. So you can reach us at 716-228-0906, or you can come to our website and see what we got going on at defenserinc.com. And uh, we'd love to talk to you more about it and take away some of those stigmas that you might have out there. And just even if you just have questions, uh, I'd love to talk to you about it and help you uh, understand that, you know, we're not the bad guys. We actually, there's a lot of people out there that have them and are doing great things with them, having fun and being safe with them. So don't be afraid to ask questions. I know you have concerns, and I did, and you should. So thank you. Excellent. Carl, you always have uh, wishes and so forth. Anything that to inspire until our next episode? I, I, I would like to see you know everybody at least do one good deed for the day. If not the day, just do a good deed, a good turn for somebody. Pay it forward. Uh, somebody out there needs your help or assistance, whether it be opening a door, carrying a bag of groceries for somebody, checking in on your neighbors, you know, during, you know, the heat spells or what have you. Um, but yes, be, be a better person. Be the person that you want reflected in that mirror every morning. Be that person that you want to portray as being a good guy or a good, a good gal. So stay safe and stay well. Uh, just a, a quick reminder, PTSD is everyone's concern it should be so if you are suffering from it or you know someone that is suffering from it it shouldn't just be one national day we recognize it that people live with this day in day out night in and night out uh, reach out to the loved ones reach out to the veterans and it doesn't have to be just battlefield we have enough terrible things that happen in this country where anybody can suffer from that so reach out to your brothers and your sisters and always be good to each other and we'll see you next time Thanks for joining us on the Talk of Tonawanda. Uh, I'm Frank and Carl and Dave. I'm Dave. All right. <laughs> and we will see you. Take care now.